welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. My name is Julian Guderlei, and I'm here today with Chris Hildreth, founder and CEO of Topsoil Innovative Urban Agriculture. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure. You're inspiring me. I love what you're doing with Topsoil and the whole topic of like innovative urban agriculture. So jump right in, like tell, tell people a little bit more about what Topsoil is and how that vision kind of came to be. Yeah. So yeah, like I was saying before, you know, social entrepreneurship has always kind of been the direction that I wanted to go, you know, looking at big problems and solving them through business. That's kind of how I view social entrepreneurship. Um, but essentially it came down to, you know, I left high school. I traveled for about five years because again, the entrepreneurial spirit in me said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it myself. Um, ended up in Tofino and was living there and just decided to kind of look at what, look at my life and see how it wanted, see how I wanted to move forward and decided I loved to travel. So I wanted to get paid to travel. So I went back to school, did a tourism management degree in, in Vancouver. And the goal was to travel and get paid millions of dollars to do it. That was before Instagram and YouTube though. We, nice. you know, it was actually, you know, working on whatever it is just to be able to looking at like Anthony Bourdain, he's, he's obviously passed away, but looking kind of what he did and traveled the world and was on TV. Um, that was really the goal. But during that degree, we had to take an environmental stewardship class. So this was when I was 22, 23 years old took an environmental stewardship class. The first class when he's going through the syllabus, you know, like the very introduction to environmental stewardship. So he was talking about, you know, the greenhouse gas effect and de deforestation, kind of these big, very broad topics. But I remember so clearly the day, the seat, the setting, that light bulb moment of going, that's it. I want to get into whatever that industry is. For me, it was the sustainability industry because that feeling of, be, of wanting to do something greater than myself finally was presented to me, which is really interesting being 23 and never really having any of that information ever presented to me. I was living 23 years of my life, never really looking at plastic. You know, I would, I would use plastic bottles. I would never think where my food came from. I grew up in Vancouver, got my food from grocery stores and restaurants, never thought about that stuff. But that class really changed my life. So I dropped out of, or didn't drop out of, I stopped with the tourism management degree. I moved to Victoria, went to UVic. And because I heard that their environmental uh, studies program was one of the best in the country. So it was all about the understanding, even in that first, and that was you know almost 10 years ago now, that, that first class in those first couple of minutes, understanding that I can do something greater than myself, but with the understanding that the sustainable industry, you can make, you can make a money, you can, you can make money, you can make a living doing it as well, which was very important. Got and it, an understanding that I had right off the bat, which it was, oh, okay, that's gonna grow. That's gonna be an industry that's gonna happen sooner or later. Um, so yeah, I went to UVic, I did a minor in business and a double major in environmental studies and sociology. I literally geared my entire academic career towards the pursuit of creating a sustainable business, which was really nice being now 23, 24 and really using university to my advantage. I just took it. I took, you know, and that's what I say to students now is go to university, 
don't let university take advantage of you. Take advantage of university. Don't just be a bum in a seat. Get to know your professors. Really start to engage with your classes. And you know, it's just so silly paying all that money and then coming out and being like, okay, what do I do now? For right. me, it was I'm going to create the business while I'm in university, learning about all this stuff, and then I'm off to the races. So it was really nice to be able to kill two birds with one stone and get my education and have all that more information, that really in-depth information and all my classes be surrounded with obviously environmental studies, all of the problems and then trying to figure out the solutions. When I first started though, I was very, um, fossil fuels were, were a huge issue for me. Um, I did no car Thursdays, that's what I tried to champion at the college and university in Vancouver when I was in that class for that semester. You know, um, CO2 emissions were kind of high on my radar, so I was I thought I'd get into sustainable energy when I went to UVic, but I found within the first two years uh, in those classes talking about all the problems, you know, and there's so many, and like we were saying, they're so interconnected and so complex. I saw that not only fossil fuel was a common thread, but food was a common thread that could be found in all of those, like I was saying, political, economic, social, health, environmental problems, but it was also the solution to all those, to all those problems as well. We just needed to think about food better or differently, produce it differently, consume it, have our waste streams be different. We just kind of had to reimagine that. So I started looking at food systems very generally in those first two years. Um, and then the last two years when I was developing this business, I specifically focused on the industrial food system in North America post-World War II, um, almost obsessively. I was so intrigued with our current food system that I was a part of, that we're all a part of, um, and just looked at it from kind of a systematic point of view. and. You know, again, it goes back to what we were saying, really understanding the historical process of how we got to this point if we were going to try and move forward, because it didn't just happen overnight. There was a very, you know, there were so many steps that happened. And for me, World War II was kind of that is a good kind of pinnacle moment where, you know, the states wins, wins the war. They kind of get to dictate the how the food system unfolds. At that time, women get emancipated from the kitchen because throwaway and TV dinners and preserved packaged food becomes the norm. Um, farms become centralized, privatized, and mechanized because we're trying to feed these growing cities and have prosperity and abundance, and we're just trying to produce and make everyone's lives really easy. Fast food restaurants just start taking off, so McDonald's and Burger Kings, which are in cahoots with all the big farms. Um, and, uh, and also supermarkets. Supermarkets become where most people in cities start getting their food from. So it kind of all happened all in that time and it was really interesting to see. And you know, to be honest, when you look back at it, I can understand the mentality. It's not that they, they you know, consciously were trying to get to this point now where we're like, oh crap, our food system really is very efficient, <laughs> yeah, but it sucks. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? At the so time that was- Yeah, it was great. It's like, yeah, let's do it. A way to plan forward, yeah. 100%. Um, so now it was kind of, but looking at, you know, that, that food system that we're, we're all eating from, um, now is that from start to finish, it has negative consequences associated with every single aspect. I thought to myself, that's crazy in my head. 
when I look at cities and just, you know, all the different things that could potentially become all the systems that become could become a little bit more sustainable in my head when I look at them it's always and I don't know why it's JFK's uh, voice but it's always we can do better you know what I mean like Absolutely. in my head it's just like we can totally do better than this this is crazy that we're still living these old school systems that were set up you know post-industrial revolution and we're, we're doing it now in 2018 because we're just so used to it um, so again, the whole model was built off of just doing the exact opposite of our current food system right. with the goal... Flip, flipping it around, basically. With having positive benefits associated with every single aspect instead of negative consequences. So currently our food, especially here, let's bring it to a micro scale on Vancouver Island, you know, 80% of our product is our produce is coming from California or Mexico, right? So it's produced super far away. It's shipped in, uses tons of CO or produces tons of CO2 emissions to get to us. It's sprayed with all types of different chemicals, fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, grown in monoculture. So degrading the soil obviously is not good for the plants. It's all wrapped up in one-time use plastic packaging, shipped for days, sometimes even weeks warehoused for a bit and then we get it it's lost a lot of its taste textures nutrients and it just isn't very good right so we have a system that is producing a lot of very sub quality sub nutritiously um, dense food but you know what are we supposed to do when there's so much so many of us to feed and that farming is essentially you know hard to hard to do and has become so centralized and become so kind of um, disconnected from cities, which again wasn't um, an accident either, right? Cities developed on efficiency and cleanliness. We used to have farming back in cities, back in the day. There used to be pigs, there used to be you know agriculture going on, but then we kind of started to move towards this cleanliness. Cities need to be clean all the time and we need things to be super efficient. So that it started to get pushed out, pushed out, pushed out. Um, and then cities had to grow. So again, it made sense that you centralize farms over here and we have a city over here. Okay, we'll just do the farming here and the city right. over here and we'll get the food there. It, right? it, it makes sense to have like the city over here, the farm on the other side, but the, the, the truth we're experiencing is that cities aren't necessarily really clean spaces anyway. We have such entire like mm -hmm. garbage problems in cities and totally. basically, the, I mean, we've, we've talked about this um, bef before this conversation offline already. It's like we, we've created deserts, right? Where there's no green space. Every city who is kind of progressive at this point is really wanting to embrace more green space. So, yeah. so you guys really sat down, saw a clear pro problem. I mean, it sounds like you had this aha moment at your first uh, environmental studies class. And then flipping it around into like basically the opposite of our current system with a chain reaction of benefits. Tell us a little bit more detail how that looks in Victoria, BC right now. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, that first first environmental studies class back in the day was kind of the light bulb moment for, for social entrepreneurship. But the idea was that whole process through university where I was just looking at the, those systems and that problem and, you know, essentially just got very frustrated about talking about the problems all the time. <laughs> and, you know, even in university, you, no one talks about any solutions really happening or is doing anything really about it. We just like to surround ourselves with, oh, you know, capitalism is the worst. We're degrading the planet. There's, you know, 
what, what are we going to do with it? It's so complex. It's so abstract. There's so many different variables to consider. And then you kind of throw your hands up. It's like, ah, oh, crap. I guess, like, what do we, how, where do we even start with this crazy complex problem? Um, that's why it was kind of nice to kind of focus just on food. But it was in a food and society class where in year three, where I literally was sitting there, I was listening to the professor um, talk about you know, GMOs and Monsanto and how they're patenting life and buying corn seeds and all the craziness with that. And I'd heard it so many times and I looked out the window, kind of drowned it out because I was getting frustrated and I looked at a rooftop and said, why don't we just grow food on a roof and supply that to the cities? Like it was that easy. I went home, I told my girlfriend, I said, oh, I have an idea, I, you know, I came up with this idea or I thought about this idea of putting you know, gardens on rooftops and selling these to restaurants. She was like, oh, that sounds like a cool idea. Four days later, there was a business competition. I wrote a business plan in two days. That got passed on to the presentation round. And then I won the social venture award just for that idea. Wow. Yeah. So the, but that was only because I was, it was very easy for me to, one, display the passion that I had about this, but two, to articulate the problem because I'd been you know, studying it and obsessed with it for so long and then come up with kind of this no-brainer solution. The no-brainer solution, again, is just doing the exact opposite. So when you do, when you produce food um, in cities, you can do it with no to minimal CO2 emissions because you're close enough to all the restaurants that you can walk it or bike it and that's what we wanted to do. No, obviously, chemical fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides. No one-time use plastic packaging and full transparency. So we wanted to have all of those incorporated into the business, which is essentially is the exact opposite of what the current food system is doing. But again, to be able to develop a model that can scale because doing those principles with quality on small scales is easy. How do you produce a lot of really good food for cities? So my goal has always been 100,000 pounds in the city for the city, which, you know, in Retrospect is not a huge, huge number, but if we can hit 100,000 pounds in the city for the city, we become a player, a big player in the food, you know, production space. We're not dealing with little local farms anymore. Now, you know, big distributing companies like GFS and Cisco would look at us and be like, oh crap, these guys are doing it a lot better than us and they're producing a lot of food and they have that energy around it. So that's really the goal that we're trying to get to. Um, when I won that social venture award with the idea, the business plan was obviously, as you can imagine, very um, weak. It was just me <laughs> writing about the problems and the solutions. There was no marketing plan. There was no financial plan. So that last year of university, I was actually, I, I kind of set it up so I was doing all my business courses in that in my fourth year. So again, it was great because all of my business courses were just writing my business plan and developing my business plan. And it was my goal to enter that competition again and actually win the, the grand prize business award with a business that those judges could say, oh, this actually could really work. This isn't just a feel-good project that we wanted to give this social venture award to. Um, so that whole year, I spent um, developing the business plan and also, like I said, trying to build the business so when I wrote my last exam, I could start my job in my business. So was talking with developers, engineers, architects, insurance companies, works, HBC, restaurateurs, farmers, everyone I needed to go, how do I do this? 
and I just cold called hundreds of people. Oh, cold wow. emailed, cold hundreds. I literally looked at my full five course schedule. I had at least six to eight meetings a week with just everyone. Didn't matter who it was, I just wanted to get as much information as I could to be able to build this business model, you know, because everyone would say, well, structural integrity. So I said, okay, perfect. I need engineers and architects. Just went to meetings with them, asked them questions, got them to give me as much information as possible, you know, then access and then restaurants and then farms, how to actually grow it on, on rooftops. Um, get the, you know, the financing, talking with the banks, seeing how that would all work out wrote the business plan, entered that business competition again, won the business competition, the grand prize, which was a decent amount of money, right? Wow. And that was in my last year. So that last, my last exam, so I'd literally set up the business. I'd got the developer, I'd got the insurance, I had everything. I wrote my last exam in the morning. That afternoon, I moved 2,000 pounds of soil onto the rooftop at Blanchard and Broughton, right where the Livid is now and started my business. Like that's, that was, it was such a crazy goal to start to, to say, oh, I'm gonna start my, my business in university and you know, obviously with hard work, but definitely a lot of luck. I literally wrote my last exam and then boom, I went to start my pilot project for my rooftop agriculture business. Um, and that was 400 square feet on a rooftop. At that point, um, which is kind of, the crux or like the, the defining moment, I guess, of me really kind of slitting my job description as a social entrepreneur is um, after all that work and all that time, at that point, that was four years ago, the city of Victoria wasn't zoned to allow for commercial urban agriculture in downtown Victoria. So they said, um, you can do it, but you can't sell your product. So. You know, I think if anyone, I don't think anyone had ever gotten to that stage where they actually had a garden on a rooftop and the insurance and, and the restaurants and everyone and they were ready to do it. I think if anyone had gotten to that point, that probably would have been the, the point where they said, okay, well, this isn't gonna work. For me, I said, screw it. Like, I believed in the, in the benefits yeah. of local food production and not even just local food production, but more sustainable cities and the understanding that a localized food system is part of that that I said, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it for free and I'm, I'm gonna to prove to you that we can, that this should be part of the economic ecosystem um, of the city. So the goal that year, granted I, I had won those business competitions, right? So I had a little bit of seed money to kinda of do that. I had some savings. I'd just come out of university so I knew how to live frugally. It wasn't like I had a mortgage and a bunch of kids and doing this, right? And that was kind of, definitely a nice angle to be able to come at it from. Um, but the goal of that year was to really keep track of the production numbers on a 400 square foot space. And two was to convince the city that uh, this should be part of you know, our city here. So the production numbers um, were great. I was able to take those numbers from 400 square feet. Dockside Green got in touch with me and was able to somehow, you know, figure out how to scale to 10,000 square feet, right? So I was like, oh, I was producing this much on, you know, let's say six containers of arugula. If I do 200, you know, down there, then it should all work out. Had no idea if it was gonna work out. I was on a rooftop, that's down there. But, you know, I was, I ha at least I had those numbers to look at. Um, and then the second was we, we invited um, city council members onto the rooftop 
showed them the space with the developer, sat down with them, you know, again, was able to kind of articulate why and how I wanted to do this. Um, and then four days later, they actually emailed me and I have the email and they said, Topsoil can move forward as the first commercial urban agriculture business with this type of model, like doing it right downtown in Victoria. Mason Street Farm, they're an urban farm, but they're kind of a backyard garden farm. They're kind of the stereotypical in ground. This is the first business that's actually taking over, you know, unused lots and implementing right. modular. For, for the people listening that haven't seen the way you farm, it's basically in like, um, what's the material? Is it felt or something like that? Yeah, it's, it's, like, like like yeah, it's a heavy duty fabric pretty much. That's what it can be likened to. It's called geotextile, but uh, yeah, they're just fabric containers. That's fabric what you can imagine. Yeah, yeah they're, uh, they're about a foot and a half in diameter. So they're relatively small and they're modular. We Right now on this current site, we have over 3,000, but that pilot project, 400 square feet, was 50. We had 50, five zero containers. And then that next year at Dockside Green, I think we went up to 2,000. Wow. So that, that was kind of the scale of, of me, you know, trying to, you know, doing it on 400 square feet was, was very easy. It was a great learning experience because I didn't spend a lot of money and I was able to really kind of fine tune what I was doing because... Again, like I was saying before, I have no farming or gardening background. I grew up in a city, never really thinking about that kind of stuff, but just with this blind, ambitious passion to solve a problem. And I don't think you, you know, you really need to be a farmer. Maybe it takes someone who isn't a farmer, right? Like that's my mentality totally. now. Where it's I like, think this is what's what's also so um, inspiring about just let, letting you share about this, this business that you've built over the last years and that you're, this vision that you're stepping into, all these moments of, I think you said a couple minutes ago here, like uh, you had a lot of luck on the way as well. It yeah. doesn't really sound like luck or feel like it. it. It sounds like there was a very clear inspiration phase where you grew up in a city and then you were a total outsider to the farming community, but you re realize there is such a simple solution to such a real, I wouldn't even want to call it a problem, such a real circumstance, which is we've created food deserts and we have probably like nine out of 10 rooftops are completely unused for, used for nothing and, and basically just a dead space, right? Yeah. Um, so I think this is what, what this show is, is so about. There's so much purpose in um, what you're doing, but also in how you're doing and how you found it. Like these aha moments when we're really like, the, the light bulb kind of turns on, right? And we're like, what? Oh, I could just do that. So I want to acknowledge you for, for being so bold and so courageous to step into it because I think that's what it really takes. Because mm -hmm. you could have easily also failed with it, yeah. but now you're actually rolling forward with it. So um, maybe tell us like, Right now, if you could wish for anything to get this business into the next stage or step or phase or however you want to call it, what would you ask for? Jeez, that is a good question to get into the next phase, eh? Um, I'm not really sure if I would... I can't think of anything I would ask for right now. Um, because again, it, it goes down, it, it always comes back to the process. You know, I'm really enjoying the process of creating a business, you know, that's socially and environmentally um, conscious at its core, but also trying to make it financially viable, again, um, to be able to provide living wages or career opportunities or job opportunities for young people. You know, it, it's, it's interesting and I understand when I say this, it could come off, it, 
if I heard someone kind of speaking like this, it'd be like, ah, you're so full of yourself. Like, you know, well, we all think like that. But when I talk with business people, it's really hard to explain to them that I'm really not doing this for money. It's not the main goal at all. The purpose of trying to create more sustainable cities and understanding a sustainable food system is part of that is the main goal. And that's really what has allowed me to keep going because it's been freaking no sane person would go through the these ups and downs and these processes and these you know the the financial burdens the mental burdens the physical burdens the unknowns the just craziness that goes along with it if it was if you if you if you don't understand your why then it's very difficult to just keep moving forward you know if but again i understand people can start businesses just for money and i mean and then everything else is secondary but it's difficult for me to try to explain what's in my head and how I think about it really isn't. It's, it's the profitability is secondary and it's still very important to me, but the purpose will always be first. And it's, it's a, it's a, such a different mentality to come at starting a business from when it's not just looking at numbers, you know, and that's what I said about that, that turning point where they said, yeah, you can do it, but you can't sell it was the turning point in terms of social entrepreneurship, right? Entrepreneurship is just building a business. You're trying to increase revenues and decrease costs. That's how you run a business, right? It's very, very simple, simplistic, but you know, that's what you're trying to do. Social entrepreneurship is trying to solve big problems, big kind of root systemic problems through, through entrepreneurial business, thinking. Through business, yeah, yeah, right? Absolutely. So, and that's really the kicker. And it's, it's there, you know, that, that drive and that goal is always, you know that that's it that purpose of just and that process of going through it and for me it's it's incremental growth you know i i have um decided that this is my career choice right this isn't something that um i'm gonna do and then i'm, I'm gonna go get a government job or i'm gonna go go get a job because now getting a job just doesn't really make sense to me but having said that I understand that it's always there, right? It, it would be, I can go get a, a job, but it, it wouldn't have, you know, that same kind of, yeah. you know, purpose behind well, it. Well, it's, it's so excellent to hear how important purpose is for you in, in this endeavor. So people that are in Victoria, BC, where do they find you? You're at Dockside Green now? Yeah, we're down at Dockside Green on Harbor Road there, right off the uh, Galloping Goose. There's, yeah, 20,000 square feet. We have an on-site market on uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Monday and Wednesday is 12 till 3, and then Friday is 1 till 6. So if you want fresh cut veg, you can come down, or you can just come down and have a chat with us and, and talk to us and hear what we're all about, because that's really why we started the market, is just to have people come down. But if you want some veg, we can cut it straight for you. And how many how many restaurants in town do you guys supply as of today? As of today, we have 13 restaurants, and uh, we also do Spud. I see your Spud box over there. Um, they're on board, and then also we're talking with uh, another uh, local market, or two other local markets, actually. One just got in touch with me uh, just a couple of days ago. Um, they're doing a zero-waste market, so it fits perfectly with theirs, their model. Uh, but yeah, I mean that that grew from one restaurant, the pilot project. Then we had three restaurants the second year. Then we went to just four restaurants, four or five restaurants last year. And now we're at thirteen with 
a bunch uh, you know of those other distributors as well so you know it's going in the right direction uh, how would people that are not locally Victoria BC who are listening to this right now and who are curious and want to know more where would they find you on your social or your website or your YouTube um, which which ones are the ways to kind of uh, be in touch with you even though they can't meet you physically yeah so the website is topsoileatlocal.com. That's uh, where you can kind of get all the general information. We're trying to hit Instagram pretty hard this year, uh, you know, because the first two years there was just so much going on. Marketing is tough to tough to do and took us took a back seat. But this year we're really trying to hit Instagram. So if you want to do that, that's topsoileatlocal um, on the Instagram account, topsoileatlocal, and on Twitter, and topsoil innovative urban agriculture on Facebook. But Instagram is where we're really trying to kind of, we're really wanting That's to... That's the place to connect. Yeah, to connect. Well, I think it makes a lot of nice sense because you give people the, the feeling of what it's like to have... Uh, yeah. How many 3,000 uh, bags of, yeah, uh, of food? Yeah, there's over 3,000. So, yeah, and I like Instagram too because it's not as cluttered. It, it doesn't seem to be as cluttered right now. Um, and it's just kind of a, a nice platform to be able to interact with people. But yeah, if you want to... Check us out, go on there, and then if you're ever in Victoria, come down to Dockside Green. Cool. Well, Chris, thanks for taking the time to kind of share some insights into, well, mainly your passion. You just like have so much drive behind that idea and, and kind of the framework of what you've set up with Topsoil. I think there's, uh, there's a lot of rooftops, man. There's a lot of rooftops in this world that uh, could grow food. So There's lots of rooftops. There's lots of space because, I mean, that, that's a whole thing too is the pilot project um, on the rooftop was... The, the great thing about building a business, I'm sorry, we, I know we do have to go, but um, the great thing about building the business right now is that I'm not steering the Titanic. I can, if something doesn't work, I can very easily switch and I kind of, I really like that about, you know, figuring out what works and just developing the model. So the rooftop was awesome and I think every city, it's an untapped market in any city, our model definitely can go on there, but rooftops are logistically um, and financially more difficult because it costs a little right. bit of money, the production, you're on a roof, like you said, it's wind, you have all these different, it, the microclimate is just so uh, different. So it was really nice when Dockside got in touch with us and said, hey, we have some land, undeveloped mm -hmm. land, can you use it there? And I said, oh yeah, our model can go there. So then my name switched, it was Topsoil Urban Rooftop Agriculture to that, after that pilot project, to Topsoil Innovative Urban Agriculture. So. Two things happened. I didn't pigeonhole myself into just rooftops and could right. only do rooftops. And two, I opened up myself to any unused space in any city and also opened it up to any different types of model that potentially I might want to try my hand in maybe aquaponics or this or that. It can still be topsoil innovative urban agriculture. Some can be in the containers, some potentially can be a different model as well if we want to kind of branch off and have a sister company totally so it was a it was a nice thing to be able to do after the pilot project and like i said incremental growth just allows us to kind of fine-tune everything with the chefs and with the model and with the production and all that kind of stuff so it's really fun right now well really cool i'm, I'm glad to have you in the show chris this is certainly one to watch topsoil innovative urban agriculture thank you for uh spending some time with me today thank you so much man i hope you too enjoyed this episode Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes or Spotify, Green Planet, Blue Planet Podcast, and join me and others in the conversation on Facebook, Green Planet, Blue Planet Podcast on Facebook. Wherever you are, have yourself a summer day.